This morning, as we start Ephesians 6, and we get the questions down, I want to quickly recap for just a few moments in, in what's going down in Ephesians 5 and how we finished Ephesians 5. Um, if, if, can, we, can we have a community project this morning? Um, and our community project is, is we have a two-year-old right there who is, you know, beautiful as they come. She's a beautiful, wonderful little girl. But she does not like to be locked in. And, and in light of our passage this morning, let's make this a community project of, number one, let's not let her distract us. Right? You see, well, I don't know what my wife's doing there with her phone, with whale calls. Um, let's not let her distract us. Um, and so we need to train her to be able to be able to be restrained. She has been a wild monkey for too long now. And so we are going to work together on this. And, and with our sermon this morning, uh, my, my hope is that we would be able to um, understand how this, this goes together and how this is, in a sense, a community project. All right, so we have been talking in Ephesians 5, at least, um, as we have been talking uh, uh, really since chapter 3, 4, and 5, and now rolling into 6, how the church interacts with one another, how we, how we now do life together in response to the grace of God, in response to the, the grace of God, including the, uh, the grace of God since the foundation of the world, how that grace has been working to draw a people to himself, to sanctify, to put his name upon, and to call out and to use for his glory. We are that called out group of people. And now that we have been given grace, grace is driving us now in our obedience. And as we've now gotten to chapter 5, we talked about several different things, but now we're, since we got to chapter 5, we talked about how that works out in life together as a church. We said that submission to one another, right? You remember in verse 21, therefore now submit to one another. That we owe each other submission to, to treat and care and serve others in this room, one another, greater than ourselves. And we talked about two weeks ago how submission and authority then looks like into the household, and we're not going to spend too much, we won't spend much time there because there's a lot, but how it works in the household, how wives are to submit to their own husbands, and then how our husbands, how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so we started thinking about submission to one another. And when there's submission, there's authority. There's authority. And so now that we look at chapter 6, this now household looking at husband and wives, talk about church, now this household looking now turns to children. Children. And, and what it's supposed to look like. Children to their parents and to their fathers. How does it look like? And when I began to think about this passage and really meditate upon it, I had two questions that came to mind. And that is, 
how do children glorify God and how do parents glorify God in raising their children? Of course, you see that's questions one and two in your list. I came to those questions, uh, I came by those questions and, and, and thought of those questions because, because that is the very essence and purpose of, of why we exist and, and why we all as human life have been given life and created in the image of, of, of God is because we have been created to glorify God. Now there's a lot there that we're not going to unpack necessarily today, but what that means is, is that we would delight in Him, that we would be satisfied in Him, that we would magnify Him, that we would magnify Him, we would treasure Him, delight in, in Him. We we'll glorify Him in all things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. The chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So what I want to do simply this morning is just look at those two questions and answer them according to our, according to our passage and according to the context of what we've been and how we've been studying through Ephesians. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse Verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this morning, our passage, as our previous passages were addressing wives and husbands, this passage now turns to the children and toward parents, and particularly fathers. Now, reading this passage, it's not hard to understand. It's, it's not hard to, to look at this, and it doesn't take the, the, the best Bible scholar to exposit this text for us, for us to understand what it means to obey, and what it means to listen, and what it means for fathers not to provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not hard to look at this and say, okay, that makes sense to me. I don't need to turn and, and, and look at the different languages and figure out exactly what that what that means. There are a few, conversa- uh, a few observations at the beginning of this passage I just want us to make together. I want you to notice something very peculiar, very particular about this passage. When this book, when this letter was read originally, think with me, to the church in Ephesus, written by the hand of Paul, inspired by, by God himself, given to this church, and they they read it out loud before everybody. If all of their children were in a children's program, who would they be speaking to as they read it? They would have to call them all back in. No, children. So what's obvious about this passage is children and families are to be amongst us, whole families in the church. They're part of the body, not to be segregated off in certain age groups. A church isn't meant for that. A church that's made up of, of, of young people is a tr- church that's going to struggle. A church that's made up of just older people is going to struggle. 
But a church that's made up of generations is a church that will thrive and a church that will, will flourish. As, as, um, it's, it's been a difficult transition for, for us as parents to have our children in service, as you can see, as you can see throughout this last year, you know. Uh, it's been tough. Uh, but, but we're starting to see the fruit of that. We're starting to see the, the, the fruit of, of, of these things because they're meant to be a part. They're meant to be listening and taking it in even though you just want to discipline them the whole time. Now, when he talks about children here, he's not just talking about their, their age. This isn't just the children as an age bracket, but he's talking about children in more of relationship. And if he's talking more in children of relationship, then each and every one of us, at least at some point in time, we're someone's child. And we're children at one time. And certainly the context that definitely is dealing with those of a certain age because it's still growing and people who are to be still growing and teaching and learning. But the context, I think, for all of us also gives us inclusive that this is a passage for all of us. That there's still ways appropriately, even to, to, to thus, if we still have our parents with us, then then, then we still can be obedient and we still can be honoring of them. The church, the church is the family of God. I think in, in, in some sense, the church has a responsibility in the shaping of our children. All of us. We have, we have a responsibility in, in all of the children that, that the Lord gives us in, in our church. And, I, and I, I just find it remarkable that we've only been in existence for, for one year or so. And can you believe that we've already had two children born? Two children already born. It's amazing. It's amazing to think about. And so this process of how child, how God is giving us these gifts, even of the crying one now, the, the, the gifts of these children, that we all have a part in the discipleship and the growth of these children. Now, ultimately, we know that the responsibility, at least you know, for my children, is, my, is me. The ultimate responsibility, we saw that in chapter 5, that the husbands and the fathers, they're the heads of their household, and I will be accountable for, for how I have disciplined and instructed and led my children up in the Lord, I will be accountable as, as, as you other fathers will be accountable as, as well, how we, are, how we love them, how we care for them. But yet as a church, we all have a responsibility and an honoring and an owing of one another to care and love, to point them to Christ, to pray for them, to pray for the parents. <laughs> to pray for the parents. And so this passage isn't just for Eva and Lottie this morning. That's what I'm getting at. It's for all of us. Now, this is a difficult sermon to preach, once again, just as the other ones, because we live in an age of anti-authority, don't we? We live in an age of anti-authority, a, a culture that, that casts off all authority as being bad, and all authority being uh, uh, abusive, that automatically the, the, uh, uh, um, the, the, the posture toward, toward police officers or toward principals, toward teachers, toward 
professors, toward any authority, any uniform or not uniform, any authority as being abusive and will always take advantage of us no matter what. Even the church, right? We'll see that in the church. I remember when we were talking about elders for some of the first time, and I remember when the answer is, why is this such a hard thing to understand in the submission to the elders? One of the responses was, because it's hard to trust. It's hard to trust because we think we're going to be taking advantage of. So we live in a culture that has, has totally kicked off anti-authority. And, and there's, there's a history behind this, and, and partially what has been taught in, in, in popular philosophies and things like that. And this isn't just something that happened 10 years ago, by the way. This is something that's been unfolding for a century or so. And it's this idea called uh, autonomous individualism. Autonomous individualism, also known as what I would say is self-law. You are your own authority. You decide what is right and what is wrong. You know the Bible knew this years and years ago and years ago. They call, the Bible called this doing what is right in your own eyes. It's the same thing. And, and every single time was always in rebellion against God. So the age of this, this authority, anti-authority is against God. And, and then now, as I talked about last week about love, that everybody then has to accept my self-law problem is, is what we're seeing today, is what happens when self-laws go against each other? Who has to submit? Well, no one's going to submit. Everybody's self-law trumps everyone's. And we wonder why things seem so backwards, why things are so upside down. You know, this, this Kool-Aid that we've been drinking for so long, that I am autonomous and I have no real authority. You know, we're, we're products. Our, our country and, and, and what we've been living in is we, we're products of this, this time period called the Enlightenment. And this time of Enlightenment is when, when this authority began to be questioned. Now, a lot of that needed to be questioned because it was sinful and it was wrong. But to cast all, all authority, in, in that human nature where the pendulum just switch, swings, instead of just making it right, we throw all off. And, and that's what happened in the, in the time of, of Enlightenment, this philosophy of self this self-law, that I don't need other authority. I am my own authority. Not home, not school, not government, and most definitely not my church. I am my own self-law. But that is clearly not what the Bible teaches. Right? We've been walking through this. It's clearly not what the Bible teaches. That we are all under authority, and this authority is for our good. It is for our, our good. So, so Romans 13, we have been put over us in the sovereignty of God and His providence, government over us, federal, state, local officials that have been put over us for our good. Remove law and you know what will happen. Remove the role of law and it would go chaotic and crazy. God has given us government for our good. And this is the, to, a, to a church who, in the first century, they were killing Christians. It's for the good, because they rule the law. And we have authorities over us at work. We have authorities over us at work. Our bosses, others at work that have been put, placed over us. And you're called to submit. 
teenagers who work, your boss is right. You are not. Do what they say. It blows up in your face, then it blows up in your face, as long as you do what they say. Don't walk in thinking you know how to run the joint better than they do. I'm talking to you, Aiden. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, bro. <laughs> he was smiling, so he was the target at that moment. We, saw, we see authority in the church to the, to the elders and to one another. Authority in the homes, and that's what we've been talking about today. But ultimately, all of this authority has been derived from God. It's all been given by God. And if God has given us authority, uh, given authorities over us, and we know that also God is good, then logically, authority is good. Authority over us is good. And our submission, our glad submission to that authority is also to be good. So children, your parents has been given authority by God to instruct you, to discipline you, to rule over you for your good. Once again, Aiden, I'm just kidding. For, for your good. And so we talk about, in this passage here, children, obey your parents and the Lord. And this, I love how it goes from, different, from one to the other, from children to, to, to parents. And he starts with children. Starts with, with, with children here. And he addresses the, the, the children in the, in the church once again. The assumption that the, 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 church, the children are there. So, so let's not forget the value of children. Right? Remember what Jesus said about children. Don't push them away. Let them, let them come to, to, to me. We, we value children. We are, we are not like our culture where life is devalued. And this is also to a first century church too where, where the life of children were devalued. They could be cast out at any moment to live on the streets. Children were, were abused and taken advantage of and mass scale. No law to protect children. And the church, even then in the first century, did you, did you know, historically, even then in the first century, the church was protecting the rights of the unborn? We celebrate life. We celebrate the birth of, of, of our children. We care for those who are fatherless because we, we see the importance of what it means to be fathered by the father. Did you know that 80% of African-American children in the U.S. are being raised apart from their biological fathers. 80%, 60% of the Hispanic children, and 50, 50% of white children. We, as a church, can be fathers to the fatherless. And so this passage here, I think, uh, just really shows us so much when we think about our children, the importance our children are to our church and to us, of course, and our role in discipling them and our role of instructing them and disciplining them. The first, uh, 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 the first imperative here says to, to obey your parents. To, to obey your parents. So, so all, all you, you kids who are still kind of under that, that rule of your home and under the rule of your, your parents, and I, and I tell our college students, I said, I say to them that if your parents are paying anything of yours, they're paying any of your bills, you are under their rule. 
you're under their authority in this way. That's just the way it is. It says to obey your parents. And, and simply means this is, I looked this up, I looked in the Greek, and I ch- checked it out as much as I can. This, 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 this is what it means. It means to do or don't do what your parents say to do or don't do. It's as simple as that. So when they say to go clean your room, you go clean your room. When they, when they say, don't do that, don't touch that, don't steal that, don't take that, stop screaming, it means stop screaming. It's as simple as, as that, that this is obedience. And obedience is, is here first, and I think it's here first rather than the word honor, and you can see that in, in, in verse 2, rather than honor, because obedience is the evidence that a child honors their parents. So, so here's what I mean by here's what I mean by that. You can definitely be obedient to your parents, but not honor them. The older brother in the prodigal son story, right? I mean, think of him, obedient to his dad, did everything he did. His heart was wicked. His heart was jealous. His heart was ugly. Despised his father. But if you, but you cannot. But you cannot honor your parents without being obedient. You can't. So this is what obedience does. Obedience hears what parents say. Hears what parents say. It hears. It opens their ears. We have a song that we sing in our house called, I want to be all ears when mommy's speaking. I want to be all ears when daddy's teaching. I want to be all ears. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So we want to be all ears. But it, and it's also that it does what they say. So it's listening, and then it does what they say. Colossians 3, 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So we are to be obedient, number one. The second thing is we honor our parents with our, with our attitudes, with our submission, with our obedience, without, this, without begrudging hearts. What's the point of obedience if you're still dishonoring your parents? What's the point of obedience? This is honor your parents. And honoring our parents just doesn't happen on Mother's Day and Father's Day. It comes with a, a glad heart of submission. It's a glad heart, that voluntary submission like we've been talking about uh, over these last couple of weeks, a glad heart. So when we're asked to do things, it's not for our bad. It's not because our parents wanted to take something from us that's good for us, but it's because they love us and they're working for our good. Proverbs 30, verse 17, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Read that one next time your kid is disobedient. You know, that's crazy. I remember, I've seen ravens before. I've definitely seen vultures eating some nasty stuff. And that's what, that's what that means there. Look at that. Leviticus 19, verse 3, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, says the Lord your God. In the Old Testament, it gets, it gets really specific about, about children that dishonor their parents and dishonor 
uh, disobey and dishonor their parents, who rebel against their parents. Exodus 21, verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. No questions. Take him outside the city gate. Verse 17, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, he will not obey the, obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall... And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you will purge the evil from the midst of Israel, and they shall hear and fear. That's not a very good sermon, like scripture to read for children, is it, right? You're like, oh, my parents are going to take me out to the neighborhood gate and stone me, kill me. Look at Romans 1. You don't have to turn there, but he's going to put it up on the, put it, they're going to put it up on the screen there. There's this list in Romans chapter 1 of, of sin and worldliness and evil in the world. And part of that list, it just doesn't seem that disobedient to parents should be there, but there it is. But there it is. And here's the reason. This is, this is why. This isn't because God was being unloving. That, we, that he would say, go out and kill your kids, because that seems harsh, it's tough, that's rough, that's so difficult to comprehend for loving parents to understand. But the whole idea is, is, is this, that direct, willful disobedience against their parents is not just against their parents, but it is against God. That it is a rejection of His ultimate authority. It's a rejection of his ultimate authority. And so obedience and honoring our children is commanded. But the motive of obedience is here. It's because it's right. Verse 1, because it's right. It's right. It's pop, prop, proper. It's fitting. And these are the words that we've been seeing throughout, throughout Ephesians, particularly in chapter 5, where it talks about, uh, uh, for this is right, for this is proper, for this is fitting, for this is righteous. He's telling us this is what's good and this is what's not. And what is good is for children to obey and to honor their parents. And it's motivated with a promise. Listen to this promise. To honor your father and mother, for this is the first, first commandment with a promise, that it, may well, that it may go well with you. It's a blessing. That your lives will be blessed. That you may have long life in the land, safekeeping. Now these are these are proverbial promises, right? They're not guarantees. They're not guarantees. But but when we do what is right, when we do what is right, when we're obedient to, to our parents and and, and, and such and, and honor our parents, when we can just pull out statistic after statistics and say here that then we will generally stay out of trouble. We will generally stay out of trouble, not just with our parents, but also with other authorities. Maybe more authorities where the consequences would be greater. We will mature. And, and, and I think even the greater case of what this is talking about and the blessing and the safekeeping is that the child then will be pointed to Christ. 
will be pointed to Christ for salvation. Will be pointed to Christ for salvation. There are great blessings and there is great joy that comes from obedience and learning the joy in obedience and particularly being obedient to our parents in this passage. I, I learned this the hard way. I learned, I learned this the hard way. I, I, it took many years for me to realize that to be obedient was for my good. And that my parents, my dad and my mom, they were not robbing from me a joy. They weren't robbing or taking something from me that, that wasn't for my good. But they were loving me. And they were for my, they were for my good. So to answer our first question, so then how do children glorify God? Ready? Ready? Everyone. Children, this is how we glorify God. This is how you magnify God. Children, you glorify God by obeying and honoring your parents. By obeying and honoring your parents. It's as simple as that. And it's also as difficult as that. And this practice, your practice of obedience and honoring them will point you to ultimate authority. God. Because we know that that authority that parents have have been given to us from God and that it is for our good. So children, obey your parents for this in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then verse 4, our passage then turns to fathers. It turns to fathers, and the idea behind here in verse 4 is, is we are to make disciples of our children. We are to make disciples of our children. The passage turns to fathers for household. And it says, fathers, look with me in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Now, I don't think he's forgetting about mothers in this, in this passage. He's specifically talking to parents, but he's not forgetting about mothers here. And he's not saying that, that mothers do not have authority. But just as we saw in chapter 5, verse 25 through 33, the husbands, the fathers, have this unique role as head of their households. And they have this unique responsibility for the discipleship and discipline of, our, of, the, of children. You know, it's not that they don't teach, and it's not that they don't share and instruct and discipline the children. It's not like my, my, uh, my wife does none of that, and that's all up to me, but it's overseen by me as the head. There's some things that she does in the disciplining and instructing and the teaching that I, I can't do. Don't understand it. And she does. But the responsibility is, is, is me. Fathers are the ones who will be held accountable. And the reason, I, I think another reason why he brings up fathers is that without a father's affection and approval, whether it is a son or a daughter, statistically they turn to negative sources for attention and leadership and affection. And, and the results of that is abuse, whether it be emotionally, physically, sexually, anger, abandonment. I would say that one thing that we have, we have seen and, and we've, we've heard this time and time again, we shouldn't say this with, with pride or with winning an argument, but with great sorrow and sadness that 
we see our culture going down the way it is because we live in such a fatherless society. We should say that with sadness. And when we see young men killing each other, young men made in the image of God killing one another, not the end of the story though even though we've heard the statistics that were so negative God is glorious God is good and I know some of y'all have not been raised with maybe the best parents in the world or the, the, the fathers that would point you to Christ and to the gospel but we also can see by the testimony of you even being here that the Lord takes what's broken and almost even fatherless in such a way and he restores it and he takes what was broken what was bad and he makes it good that he is the father to the, to the, to the fatherless. And there's always hope. There's, there's always hope in, in, in every situation, every situation that we see in this earth that are just seem to be hopeless. There always is. When we can't see a way, there's always hope because God is good and God is glorious and he is sovereign over all these things. And I'll just give you just a, a really quick example. Look at adoption. Just... Just this past week on Thanksgiving Day, one of my really good friends named Eric, him and his wife flew to China and they adopted a young boy from China on Thanksgiving Day. And he sent me a text message as we were text messaging as happy Thanksgiving. He said, this is a great Thanksgiving. This is my son, Elijah. Think about that. There's a a kid who had no hope. He had no father. He had no 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 family. No one, in some sense, in a humanly perspective, to point them to Christ, to love Jesus. And now God intervenes again, as He has intervened on all of our behalf, who were all once fatherless, points us to the father and draws us in into his family and says, "I love you, and I love you this much because I sent my son to die on the cross for you." And here's Eric taking this young man, this young boy, Eric and Jackie, and bringing them into their home with their other son, Hudson, that they also adopted. Such a hopeless situation. God pierces in through the light. Pierces right into it. There's always hope. Now, there's two challenges of parenting <laughs> that are revealed in this passage here, and particularly to fathers. It says, do not provoke to anger. Don't provoke your children to, to, to anger. And, and I think many men, they, they think the, the best way into shepherding their children and, 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 and kind of subduing their family and, and, and having dominion over their family results because of sin in a domineering, in a very aggressive way. They come at it in an aggressive, domineering way yelling and screaming, and I know the temptation. I've been there, done that. Fathers sometimes will put down their children they, because they think that they should be equals. They should be like them, like an adult. So they put them down, and this is what provokes children to anger. And unfortunately, we know this. We've been there because fathers are not perfect. They're sinners. Unfortunately, sometimes children can respond in ways that has prolonged effects, become angry, dangerous. 
We also see, I think, the warning. It kind of pointed me back to earlier in our study in Ephesians 4 where it talks about anger. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger unless you give a, a, a footstool or a, a hold of, for, the, for the devil, for the evil one. And if we, we, we see this text, if we see the, the warning, the blaring warning there, let's not lead our children into anger so that there could be a foothold of the evil one to take root in their lives, that they would grow up to be angry. So, but instead of angering our children and provoking them to anger, let's bring them up in the discipline and instruction of our Lord. There's a young girl out there that needs some discipline right now. Mom is taking care of it. That's right. And instead of angering our children, let's bring them up in the discipline and instruction of our Lord. This is, the, this is also a challenge, isn't it? In the Genesis chapter 3 world, this is a challenge. There's thorns and thistles in our children. Just like there's thorns and thistles in us. Like that, that rise up, they, they don't want to be shaped. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be disciplined. They don't want to be told what to do. Right? I mean, come on now. Get that? But this disciplining here is not just a heavy hand of discipline and spanking. This is a, this disciplining is a shape and a, and a hope toward, toward, a, toward a living hope. So yes, absolutely, if, 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 if you, if you uh, do corporal punishment, then, then let it be shaped toward a hope, not just because you're angry or not just because we're, we're upset or because they, they did something against me or they inconvenienced me. It's because I don't want them to be a punk or I don't want them to be a loser. I want them to be like Jesus. And so you did something wrong, you disobeyed authority, and when you disobey authority in the home to the father and mother, there are consequences to that discipline, as there are consequences in all of life. So there's a goal in mind, and the goal in parenting is a, is a goal that is eternal. So we don't, we don't discipline not with passivity or permissiveness, meaning we just kind of let things roll or slide off, but we discipline with a hope. We discipline with a, with a hope, with, a, with an end gained in mind, that with every screaming moment, with every act of willful disobedience, with every act of stiff-necked rebellion against us as parents and trying to do for their good, we always look to the end goal. And we discipline with that end goal in mind. And sometimes, sometimes, that end goal and that discipline looks like we give them grace. And grace doesn't, it doesn't say, I'm just going to let them get away with it, right? That's not grace. There's correction in grace. There's mercy. And in that discipline, there's instruction, as it says, instruction in the things of the Lord. We teach. We teach about that discipline. We teach about why we're giving grace and why we're giving, why we're giving mercy. And in that instruction, we set, a, we set a Christ-centered example to our children. We can do this as a church, set this Christ-centered example to, to our children. The parents, we set a Christ-centered example. As fathers, we set a Christ-centered example. As much as we, 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 we don't want to believe in, I think parents, they don't realize this, is that they are the greatest influence over their children. They are. They're the, they're the, they're the greatest influence over their, their, their children. 
The, the struggle is, is whether you're going to give someone else that authority or not. That's the issue. Is are you going to give that authority of discipline instruction to someone else, or are you going to do it yourself? I think that's the issue. Nobody has a greater influence than, than you. So we instruct them with that influence that God has given us. We, we teach them the basics of Christianity. And they learn the basics of Christianity from us. They're watching us. You know, it's, it's, to me, I, I find it just amazing to me. I, I remember this. I remember watching so many kids who were just slugs at church. They didn't want to be there. They didn't care. They stood up and they sat down. They went through the motions, never sang a word. They looked dead. And then when I saw how their parents didn't sing, it all made sense. We have such a great influence on our children. Men, you want your kids to sing? Then sing yourself. And we sing ourselves. And the same thing with, with everyone else. Are, you know, my kids now are really the younger children. They're watching all of us. If you sing, then they're going to sing. No pressure. I need help here. How, how we value and prioritize church. Is, is it just when, when it's convenient, when, it's, when, it's, when, it's, uh, when there's nothing else better going on? Or is it a priority? The children are watching that. I was amazed how much sports have taken a priority for people who were Christians and allowed it just to take over their lives. Amazed by that. And we wonder why this rec department plays ball on Sundays and Wednesday nights. We wonder. Because we just let them. Nobody stood up and said, sorry, my kid can't play that day. We're so worried that they'll not make the team or not go to college on a scholarship. Guess what? Their kids are probably not going to school on a scholarship. Anyways. That's, what, that's, the, that's where it's all gone wrong. Parents, we've given that authority to others. Their view of marriage is set by us. They learn obedience. They learn how to respect and submit to authority by us. How we respond to the police officer that pulls us over. They, they watch. And so that's, that's one thing. Instruct. We give them a Christ-centered example. I think the next thing is we just give them Jesus. We just give them Jesus. We give them this G, the Christ-centered instruction. We give them great doctrines of, of, of God. We teach them who God is. We teach them about His authority. We, we walk with them. And as we walk with them, when, as we have meals with them, we talk to them about Jesus. We talk about His incarnation. We talk about His death. We talk about His resurrection. We talk about His lordship. We speak into the, children, the hearts of our children, teaching them about Christ. We show them how all behavior comes out of the heart. And we talk about the, about the cross. We talk about how, what it means to become a new creation in Christ. We teach the, the very reason why God created them. And why is that? To glorify Him and for us to enjoy Him. We get to know them. We ask them lots of questions. We know their fears. We know their doubts. We celebrate their victories and we warn of the dangers. We pray with them regularly. And I think this last one is really important. Is that we show them the gospel. 
We show them the gospel and, and, and how we tell them we need the gospel. And we repent to our children sometimes. And when we, we've, we've not done up to those things, or we've sinned against them, or we respond in, in, in anger toward them, and we weren't disciplining toward a, toward a greater hope because you offended me, I was violated, and we, we disciplined in that such a way, and we repent to them. We ask for forgiveness. We don't, don't hide your weaknesses from your children, because guess what? They can see them anyways. So if you're open with them, and you, you admit them to them, and you just take... I go to God for all this, for help. And yes, I am, I, am, I am weak, but I have such a mighty Savior. What does that show your child? Where does that show your child where, where the Savior is? Is it in them or is it in you or is it in Christ? If I go to Christ when I'm weak and I show them that, where are they going to go? To Jesus. So the, the purpose behind all of, our, all of our parenting is not just to raise good, respectable children who know how to be good citizens and contribute to society and, and, and pay their taxes, which is all great, or even to be just good athletes. The purpose in parenting is to disciple and shepherd our children towards seeing the one who can only be their Savior and then showing them that they need that Savior. That's what it means. That's the whole purpose behind, behind, behind parenting. To point them to the one who was perfectly obedient in their place. And he was obedient even unto death. And when we do this for our children, when we point them to this, then, then, then everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. And yes, this is a difficult task. This is, this is hard to do. T- trust me, I'm standing in the midst of it. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. And there's, there's days and there's nights where I, I don't want to do it any, any, anymore. And yes, it's difficult. The thorns and thistles are there in parenting. I mean, once again, what, what can go wrong with a sinner raising a sinner? Lots. But remember, parent, that if you are in Christ, then your identity is no longer as just a sinner, but as a saint, saved by grace and being sanctified by grace. And if that's how we have been saved and that's how we are being sanctified, then we should parent and shepherd by grace. Our shepherding, our caring, our provision for them, our discipline, instruction, all then should shadow and point them to an ultimate authority, and that is of the Lord, to his care, to his love. How I father shows my children how God is just, how God is righteous, and how God is good. So how do parents glorify God in raising their children? We shepherd them. We shepherd them as Jesus has shepherded us. And we point them to the shepherd. We point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus in all of our faults. We point them to Jesus in all of, all of, all of their faults. We point them to Jesus in all of our victories. We point them to, all, to Jesus in all of their victories in their disobedience. We point them to their need for Jesus. And then all that, I say at that point, then we just trust God. 
And we, then we trust God for the outcome, that he is sovereign over our families, he's sovereign over our, our children, and he's sovereign over their salvation as well. We point them to Jesus so that it may go well with them and that they may live long in the land so that they may delight in Jesus as their Savior. And, 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 and we need grace. So our children need grace, but we, we need grace as well. And, and those who have already raised children, I, I think, I hope in the sense that they're kind of giggling at this point that, yeah, I can sympathize. We need a lot of grace. And we do. And that's where I think, the, that's where the, the church can come in. As brothers and sisters to encourage one another, to help one another that, yeah, you've been there. You know those long nights. You know those long days. You know all those stinky diapers. That's my reality now. I know that's not with some of y'all in your parenting anymore. And we know that. That's how we can come around one another and encourage one another and share and to honor one another and submit to one another, caring for one another as a church and caring for our parents and caring for our, our people. And, and just specifically, I want to close with this, just very specific now. Um, uh, this past week, this past week, I think maybe even a week and a half, um, Dawn and Richard, their children, you know they have old Paschal load, right? And, and they are just all getting sick at the same time right now. Nasty stuff, too. It's just like one right after another. And some of y'all have been there. And so one, one, we could we pray for them, reach out to them, meet their needs from a distance, because we don't want any of that, right? Let it die out there toward portal. Don't let that disease come this way. But reach out to them. Care for them. For, the, for those mamas who, who, who get a little sleep and, and stay up late, caring and cleaning, changing diapers, and, and for the fathers who come home and take the second round if they, they worked all day. Just pray, care for them, and pray for, pray for them. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. We pray that you would help us as we respond very practically and carefully as a church together and what it means to be under authority. All authority is derived from you, including parents. So I pray that we would see your authority in all of it because your authority is good and it is good for us. Help us as we respond now for your glory and for your grace and your joy. Amen.